0: We will be in the book of Numbers today, but I want us to turn back to Exodus 14 as we're going to go through the history of the people of God in the wilderness. So turn back with me this morning to Exodus 14. This this series has been about why did God send the people of God through the wilderness? There was a shorter route. Why did he have them there? And then what sustained them? What did God command to them to do to sustain them while they were in the wilderness? And now today, we're going to begin uh, to look at what got them out. What got them out of that desert? What got them out of that wilderness? And to do that, we really want to to have a time of contrast and look at what, what kept people in. Who were those people? And what is it that they did to not get out, but what kept them in? So many of the people of God died and did not make it to the promised land. So who were they? Why did they not get there? And to do that, we're just going to do a really quick survey of the activity of the people of God, of those specifically who didn't make it to the promised land. So going back to Exodus 14, we see that God has parted the Red Seas. He's he's freed them from Pharaoh. And then in, in Exodus 15, we get the people of God worshiping God for that great act of mercy. And we don't even get through that chapter. In chapter 15, we, we don't even get through that where they begin to grumble. Three verses after they've worshipped God for the mighty things that he has done to save them, they're already grumbling. And it's about water. And God's response to that is to provide water. But watch this because there's going to be a repeating pattern here. After the provision and after the pardon, the forgiveness, then he gives commandments. He always reminds them to give ear to his commandments. And this, was, this will be a repeating pattern. So listen, they grumbled against God. He provides, hey, follow my commandments, we're good. The next chapter, and we're not even, but two verses in, they grumble again about food. And just like the mercy of God, he provides again for them. But again, here comes a commandment right after, don't let it stay through the evening, this manna. And of course, some of them do. And then by uh, the next chapter 17, they quarrel again. And God says to Moses, and we're going to come back to this, assemble the people strike the rock, and I'll provide water. Moses does all those things, and again, God provides, even though they've quarreled, and he provides later in that chapter and defends them against a certain group. And then what you have is where we were last week. You get the Jethro story, then you get God making covenant, and then he just begins to, to share all these commands, from the Ten Commandments to how you do Sabbaths and, and feasts, how you live rightly with others, what worship should look like, the tabernacle. And then we get to chapter 32, and those people can't even wait for that instruction. Moses doesn't get to get to them with those instructions because it's the golden calf, and we talked about that a few weeks ago. And what does God do for this horrific act? not just pagan worship, but some of the things they were doing in their worship? He forgives again. And then 34:32, here's this pattern: "Now do everything I have commanded you. Provision pardon but then also he always gives or typically gives commands after that for people to obey and then following in the next couple of chapters you get the tabernacle what that will look like here's the glory of God that'll finally be with you and here that's the end of the book of exodus but it's not the end of the exodus for the people of God and so we go to Leviticus and, and, and after all these things, that he not only has he blessed them with forgiveness and second chances, but finally when you get to a people story in Leviticus, Leviticus 10, when he finally starts talking about interactions with people, what do you get? And you can guess by now, it's not going to be good. Nadab and Abihu, it involves strange fire. And again, the result is not Good. And, and you can guess the last verse for, for, for them and for Aaron. Teach them my statutes. Here's that thing again. After this act of rebellion, remember my commandments, remember my statutes. The next chapter, I mean, not, not the next chapter, the very next story, the next in the same chapter, Eleazar and Ithamar. Issues over where you can eat, what you can eat. God then goes through these commands. Here's a list of what you can eat. And here are some cleanliness laws and laws about feasts and Sabbath. You don't really get any other people story. You get some consecrations and things like that in Leviticus. No other people stories, but you do get this other repeating cycle. And you see it in Leviticus 26, 3 through 13. Yes, obey God and this conditional clause. If you do this, this is what you'll get. And if you do this, then this is what you will get. We see that pattern. Pardon, provision, but commandments. And then also this if, then. So finally we get to numbers. You know what numbers is going to be about. It's going to be about numbers. Counting things, the census of the people, some consecration of people. Again, when you get the first real story of interaction, you know what's coming. It's like going to Thanksgiving dinner. And you know that if anybody says the word football or if anybody says the word president, you know it's that certain relative that every year is going to say things that you're all just going to cringe about. You know it's going to happen. Every year, and look, you're at the point now you just take out your camera phone and you go ahead and record it so you can share your co- coworkers the next week. At least have some fun with it, right? You know that relative's going to ruin Thanksgiving. You bring up SEC football. You bring up politics. We know the pattern by now. We can just guess it. The first interaction with people in this book of Numbers, you get to chapter 11, they complain. And then a verse later, they get, or in the same verse, they get greedy. And even by chapter 12, it's Miriam and Aaron, the brother and sister of Moses, are rebelling against Moses and, and, and really rebelling against God. And then verse uh, chapter 13, God lets them see into the promised land, these spies. They get to see into the promised land, and they get scared. And, and their response to that is, we should have never left Egypt. And by chapter 14, two, they're, they're grumbling yet again. Here's the constant pattern. And by the way, there's two key numbers for me. There are many key numbers in Scripture, but in numbers, there are two, two key numbers for us to remember. One of them is ten. He says here, and it's a reminder to us, ten times you have tested me. Ten times God says to his people that you have failed me. My parents were wonderful parents. I was was blessed. I never got to double digits, though, before my parents dropped the hammer. Not once not twice, it's ten times before we get to this moment and there's going to be uh, yet more discipline. Um, So it shouldn't surprise us. Now, Numbers 14 also reports, as it does elsewhere, God is slow to anger, but that doesn't mean God doesn't get angry. God may be slow to discipline and it's his loving kindness that Scripture says, yes, but there will be consequences Ten times is where they are. And then another key number is 40. Verse 23, if you didn't listen to me, which means you didn't obey me, then there is no promised land for you. It has been 40 40 days of searching out the promised land. Well, let's add a year to each one of those days. It's going to be 40 years that you're going to be in the wilderness. That's a consequence because you did this, then you get that. You've seen it throughout numbers. You've seen it in Leviticus 26, 3 through 4. And then we go back to these people. Chapter 16, it's Korah who rebels and there's discipline. You get to chapter 20 where we are today and there's another water issue and there is discipline. Chapter 21, they complain. And then sadly you get to chapter 25 and they're back to sacrificing to pagan gods. It's just a pattern over and over again of God's pardoning and forgiving, of God's provision for them in spite of all of their failings and rebelling and complaining and on and on. But we're seeing a pattern here, and we come back now to, to numbers 20, if you'll do that, and turn in your Bibles there. This, this, is, a, this is a point in Scripture of a crushing heartbreak uh, for Scripture. Who else sins? Who else is a part of the history of God's people not fully living out the commands of Gods? It's Moses. And because of what he does in our passage today, there is no promised land for Moses. Think of all that Moses put up with. Think of all the risk. And he mentions it. You know, my life is at risk here. They're going to kill me for what you're asking me to do. All that Moses does to lead the people of God, these people who struggle and struggle and struggle, this one who is the great prophet, yes. Isaiah. Yes, uh, uh, Jeremiah. Yes, Ezekiel. Ask a Jew today who's the greatest prophet? It's Moses. The one who gave the law? It's Moses. Moses is out. It's one of the saddest moments in all of Scripture. And later we're going to hear in Numbers 27 and elsewhere uh, you're going to get to go up on a mountain and you're going to get to see. But these people that you've done so much for, you're not going to get to go. In. Why? Numbers 27 14, you've rebelled against my command. It's what God says about this moment in Numbers 20. Here in Numbers 20, he calls it out. You didn't really believe me. By your actions, this is, this is a faith call, this is a belief call, this is a heart call. And You did it in front of everybody. In front of everybody, you didn't treat me as holy. And you're gonna see that repeated later as well. So we're looking at the history of God's people in the wilderness, but really with Moses. What kept them in? What's the reminder for us so that we can get out? Whether you're in a a place of spiritual dryness now, or for most of us, there will be some in the future. Whatever desert or wilderness that we find ourselves in, here's a pattern of how we get out. And first and foremost, it's, it's just... Obey. It's basic. There's going to be some tough words here, but I want to get out. And if you want to get out, we'll hear that difficult word and we'll obey. There's no picking and choosing. On this day, you can pick and choose, yes. But listen, if you you strike the rock this day, it's not a big deal. It's radical obedience to the will of God. God And God's being very clear in so many ways about what this wonderful life with him looks like. And it's, it's meticulous because he wants you out of the wilderness in the right season. And we'll talk about that in the coming weeks. And so to get out, obedience is always a part of that. St. Ignatius of Loyola, who founded the Jesuits, would always say to his, uh, um, the people in, in, in his group, Listen, if you're going through a dry season, if, if, if you're in a time of being unsettled, you're wondering where God is, it's obedience. It's obedience that always offers a way out. To press through whatever feelings, to press through that struggle and say, I'm going to live close to God by, by living through all of his commands. There just can't be any picking and choosing. Moses is picking and choosing and he was out. I was a high school senior. My baseball coach was sweet in the sense that he allowed high school seniors to play another spring sport as long as it did not interrupt practice or games. We had started a tennis team that year, so I tried out for the tennis team and made the team. And so coach was fine just as long as we didn't play, uh, have matches. We actually set up the whole tennis schedule around uh, a friend of mine who played on the team and me so that we wouldn't miss any baseball time. About a third of the way through the baseball season, there was a rainout. Now, Coach had our schedules, but he scheduled a game right on a tennis match where we had asked another team to come. So with this last-minute change that none of us knew about, get your jerseys, it's time, get your uniform, it's time to play this game. And I had to say to Coach, Coach, we've, we've had this team come in this afternoon. I, I'm going to have to play that. You said on days we weren't scheduled, this whole thing's been scheduled around us. And Coach said, bring me your uniform. And I, this is a wonderful man of God and a great coach who's invested in me. I'd been with him six years. He, 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 uh, he uh, took me through junior high baseball. He actually would leave practice to go think, do things with the senior high, and he left me to lead the practices. My dad had hired him as an assistant coach. We were close outside of practice. We used to football together. He was a football coach, phenomenal coach, phenomenal man. Have a great relationship with him and talk to him to this day. Was his MVP one season. I was his Golden Glove another season. Was having a great senior year. That's me saying that. I don't know. I thought I was having a great senior year. One time. Hey, coach, I don't think I can play. Now, we're going to argue about whether I should have played baseball because that was my first commitment. I get all that. I felt I was obligated. I I gave my word, and they set the whole schedule for that. One mistake in my high school baseball career, as well as probably some issues with scholarships from colleges. Why did you only make it a third of the way through your senior season? All of that's gone. All my time with my teammates, gone. My relationship with that wonderful man for a season was damaged. Uh, One of the keys to seeing Moses' life here is Don't pick and choose. In this season, we're going to talk about it in a minute. Maybe maybe we can be tempted to do a little bit of that. It's a difficult time. It's an unsettled time. Moses' example here is, yes, I'm forgiven. Don't miss that. Moses knew he was forgiven, but we we don't want to miss everything God commands. Listen, I wonder. Scripture doesn't say it, but I wonder why Moses just struck that rock. Let's do a little bit of that. Maybe he was just tired, irritated, and frustrated with people. Maybe you're there, whether it's work or home, you're just tired and frustrated, and let's just get this done. And so obedience, as, as, as faithful as you are, I'm just going to let them, some things slip because I'm, I'm tired. Or maybe, um, maybe, um, maybe he's just a little bit, uh, unmotivated. Uh, maybe he didn't listen well. We're going we're to go through those in, in just a bit, but it's always, it's always um, obedience that keeps us in a position to be able to get out of the Holy Land. But here's my other worry. My other worry is not just what we do. God, God calls out Moses here for more than just what he does. It's a heart issue. That's why I love what John Wesley has to say to us about sin. As as hard as it is to hear, he doesn't just talk about sin of what you do or what you don't do that you should do. He talks about sin as a heart issue. What's going on here? What's going on in your motive? What's going on in your heart? And so that's why God calls him out and says, this is a faith issue. In another scripture here, he says, this is a belief issue. Are you not just doing what I say, but do you, do you believe me to do what I'm going to do? Do you believe what I said about how you should do this? Are you trusting me? Verse 8, he says to Motus, take the rod, get the people together, and speak to that rock. Now, where we've heard that before, he's taken up a rod before with... Pharaoh, we know in the past, not only were trees put in those bitter waters, but also when we went back to chapter 15, 16, and 17, it's a similar situation. Assemble the people, take the rod, and strike the rock. Hear me now. God doesn't change. God does not change. God's truth, sound doctrine, God's principles, they don't change. But, Does God have us do different things from time to time? As Isaiah the prophet said in chapter 43, can God do a new thing that reflect his unchanging uh, character and his unchanging truths? Yeah. But here is Moses, and again, I don't know why. Maybe he didn't listen well and he got a little bit careless. As I said, it's an unsettled time. We're out of our routine. He was certainly pressed, and so maybe he just gets a little bit, I'm not going to pay as much attention. We just got to get through this season and he gets lax. Maybe he's unmotivated. Maybe he's just tired. Anybody a little tired? Anybody a little unmotivated, whether it be at work, and maybe in our parenting or marriage, and we're not being as careful as we ought to be with our friendships or with our ministry or evangelism in this season, we're letting some things slip. Or maybe he, again, just trusted in old ways. And I get that. God's been so faithful to work in this way, and so I'm just going to strike it like I did last time because it works. I had had a friend who, a friend or somebody I knew at at Sanford, he worked there for years uh, and has done an amazing job of church planting. But he he married into a family of, of someone who worked for Billy Graham. And so he was at Billy Graham's headquarters, right? He's at Fort God. And uh, so Tal's there looking around. In every room, he noticed they had Bible tracks. Every room. It was a key part, he could, he could guess, of their evangelism strategy. And so uh, they sat him down in the conference room and said, Tal, we know you do a lot with church planning and evangelism. Hey, tell us what's a key thing to do to reach people for the Lord. And he grabbed one of those Bible tracks and he said, not this. Now listen, the word of God does not return void. Those tracks work an amazing, you put the Word of God in front of people and, and things can happen. But he was saying, in this culture, I'm going to you know, be all things to all people. You don't compromise, but God can do something new. And he's moving through relationships more than he's moving through tracks. Can you be open to what God wants to do in your life, even if it's something new? Again, God does not change. His, his character doesn't change. Uh, the truths of Scripture do not change. But listen, things Even though things will come back in some way, it's going to be a new reality when we finally get to come back together. First season, and really maybe even beyond that, can God do some new things? We're always saying, God, I know you don't change, but what would you have me do today? Let me be faithful today and not shut the door, not be set in my ways so that you can't act in new ways. Listen, I also wonder too here for Moses, and this is probably a reality for some of us. I wonder if he was depressed. His sister has just died. She also had just been disciplined with leprosy. We'll talk about that in a minute. But she had just died. And these people just after are murmuring yet again. It's almost immediate. So many of us are worried for friends and for family. Many of us are worried about our job and God's provision. Many of us are are, are worried about our uh, uh, maybe whatever it may be. And because of that, maybe it's hard to press through and just be as careful and attentive as we should be to our actions, our attitudes, and our heart right now and walking clean before the Lord in everything that he says. I understand that. Maybe that's what's going on here The text doesn't tell us. Instead, what it does is it tells us what God thinks about what Moses did. And God's very clear about it. You see it here, and you you see it in Deuteronomy 32. It's not only a a moment of unbelief. You broke faith with me is what he says in Deuteronomy 32. And then in both places he said, "You, you didn't treat me as holy. In front of everybody, you didn't treat me as holy when we don't dot every I and cross every T, it's really not a life problem. It's not a, 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 an activity problem, a functional problem. What God is also saying, and that's part of my worry for me and for all of us, it's a heart problem. Not just you didn't do the right thing, but did you really trust me in this? Were you banking on me or were you letting whatever that other stuff is that's getting to you, did it win and you trusted in your Self. It's a heart issue. In our Bible reading plan this week, as we see Saul's daughter, one of David's wives, it's a heart issue for her that's driving her to do what she whines about with David and his dancing. It's, it's a heart issue, not just an, a life issue, for Miriam and Aaron, the siblings of Moses. And they got heart issues going on when they rebel against their own Brother, God wants your life, but He won't stop there. He wants your heart and your faith and your belief and your trust. Where are we in that, in our trust in this season? I love what Philip Yancey says in his book, The Bible Jesus Read. He says the most significant, and I love how he says this, every significant downfall in Moses' life came when Moses seized power for himself, whether it's the killing of an Egyptian, or in this moment, in Numbers 20, it's when he said, I'll, I'll do what I will do. And in great contrast to that, one of the greatest victories in Moses' life is when he didn't have anything to do with it. All right, you two guys are going to have to hold up my arm as we battle this group. Because when I put my arms down and I can't hold them up, I am inadequate. I don't have the strength. When I put them down, we lose. When I put them up, we win. It's not on him, it's on God. Who's holding you up? Yes, it's, it's a fierce will that says, I'm going to cling to God. Yes, you have a part in that. Don't mishear me or mishear scripture on that. But God's reminding Moses, your faith really is in It's in me. It's not in you. It's not in your job. It's not in your plans. It's not in your savvy or in your skills or expertise. When you're in the wilderness, I need your faith in me. I need to know in your wilderness experience that you believe that I reign, that I am enough. And it's a great season to do that because The temptation is to scramble, to circle the wagons, and to do what we got to do to get through it. It doesn't mean we're not good stewards. It doesn't mean we work for that. But God calls out Moses not just on what he does, but he calls them out on his heart. And then one other thing, and I don't have enough time to talk about this, about consequences. I'd love to talk with you about it. Because some of us, whenever we have been disobedient, those consequences have lived with us. And God, even though in so many, not all, but all, most instances, we see his forgiving grace. That his loving kindness is, is always for us. You see grace after grace. But that doesn't always mean that God removes the consequences from what we do. There's typically still consequences. Miriam. After her rebellion, struck with leprosy. There's still consequences. Miriam, after her rebellion, dies in the wilderness. Go back to our Bible reading plan. Same thing with uh, uh, Saul's daughter. And, and it's also, there was another reading this week of, of when God promises Solomon to David, but then he says, I'm still going to have to discipline him. There's still going to be consequences for him when he sins. There's, just, there's typically consequences. I was 10 or 11 years old. We got to go to Hershey Park as I grew up in Pennsylvania, this this amusement park right beside Chocolate World in Hershey, Pennsylvania. A wonderful park. And I, I got to invite a friend to go. So uh, he's a Methodist now. Just talked to him uh, today or early this morning on Facebook. Told him I was going to be telling this story. We got to go to Hershey Park together. My dad took us, got there, got all excited. We rode this ride Uh, And I can't remember what it was called, but it just kind of takes you all the way over the park. You can look down and see everything in the park to get to the other side. And I'm not going to say who initiated it because he may watch this now. I think it was him. Okay. Started spitting on people underneath us. 10 or 11-year-old terrible children. And as we're over there, I'm going to spit there. I'm going to spit there. I think I only spit once. Now, I could be wrong Memory might be a little fuzzy there, but I know I definitely spit once because I hit this guy with no hair right on the head. Turns out he was the chief of police of Hershey, Pennsylvania. He looked up, saw us, followed us all the way to the end of the ride, and as we got off, he informed us as well as my father, these kids did this. Of course, I tried to lie to get out of it. No, I just leaned over, you know, and that came out of my mouth. These kids are either going to leave the park or these kids are going to clean up the park. What do you guys want to do? And I said, I'd like first to clean up the park. I'm sorry for what we did. I was sorry, but we like to clean up the park. Great. So we went in front of the comet, the roller coaster ride. We cleaned up the park for at least an hour. And then he said, That's enough. Great. So we go back to my dad, and the first words out of my dad's mouth were, and you can guess it, let's go home. No, wait a minute. I I, I had done my penance. I had done my. There are consequences. There are consequences here for Moses and for Miriam and for Cor. Just because God has forgiven, and I don't want you to doubt that, just because God's forgiven, it doesn't mean sometimes that there aren't consequences. And that can be a real struggle for us as we wrestle for that. It doesn't mean God does not love, that God hasn't forgiven. If there's real repentance, that grace is offered to us. Rest in that, because this is the last point. Moses did. Moses rested in that. He gets this rough, tough word about the consequences that will happen because of this one time. And the very next word says what? Verse 14. It, just, it reports to us Moses just kept on. Even with that gut punch. All I've done, I've got to take him to the edge. I don't get to go in. And you see that he keeps on. And then later in chapter 27, you get this revelation where God's saying, you're going to go up the mountain. Go up on the mountain. I'm going to show it to you, but you're not going in. You know what he does after that? He keeps going. And then as we get into the book of Deuteronomy, we just see. Now, remember, at the very end, Deuteronomy 34, it reports he's still full of vigor. There's no dimness in his eyes. Moses is full of life. You don't get to go. So what does Moses do at the end? What's he going to do? I encourage you to go back and just read the last couple of chapters of Deuteronomy. He's singing to the Lord and to the people of God. He's blessing them. He's talking about 34.3. There's no bitterness. He's talking about God's love. And in the same sentence, he's talking about God's commands. Obey the Lord. Stay near to him through the commandments. Meaning this will get you through and into the promised land. In the last couple of verses, the eternal God is a dwelling place. People underneath are the everlasting arms. And that last word, you will tread upon the high places. No bitterness, no resentment. But blessing. And then he's he's gathered up. He's gathered up. He stays on the mountain. He kept on. When we're disciplined, he knew as we do, God disciplines those who he loves. So I can rest in that and know that God's working and whether or not he takes away consequences, whether or not he takes away the thorn in the flesh, whatever that is, I'm gonna trust. And I'm not gonna not trust. His love and forgiveness, just because I'm in struggle. Moses, in spite of this horrible news, kept on. How is it you need to hear that word? When something hasn't been removed, when something is difficult, I'm not going to let that stop my vibrancy and and relationship with God or how I can release and serve others. Others who get to go, I'm going to bless them. I'm going to bless them. Obedience offers a way out. Obedience offers a way out. Don't miss that word throughout the story and the history of the people of Exodus. Also, don't miss Moses' story here uh, that we we don't just settle for doing well, but we want to have a life that says to God, we believe you're holy. We want to have a heart that says to God, I'm relying on you, not me, in this. Doesn't mean we're not stewards. Doesn't mean we're not cooperating. But uh, I'm going to trust your grace, but I'm also going to dot every I and cross every T. How is it with our hearts? How is it with our faith? Am I trusting in an institution? Am I trusting in myself? uh, Or am I trusting in the Lord? And like Moses... In a difficult season now or maybe someday, just keep pressing on. God does some rich and wonderful things for Joshua, for those people, because Moses is still faithful. Again, as we close our service today uh, for the postlude, we're going to have our students singing to us. I just want to ask that you continue to pray for our seniors. This has been a tough season for them for all that they didn't get to experience, for ways that we didn't get to really celebrate with them like we'd like to have celebrated. This is a wonderful group of students. And I, I, I do hope, too, you're going to find ways to reach out to them and also to their families. Moms and dads are grieving uh, as well. So as we close, I, I, I want to just pray for them, that uh, God will encourage them, uh, that God will use them as a witness, and that God will take them through this season. So let's pray together. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word and what it says to us. We want to stay close to you. We want to get through whatever uh, season we are in, and we thank you that you are faithful not just to forgive, but to give us a pattern for that, to follow you, to follow your ways. Holy Spirit, we pray you would help us to guard our hearts, but also to use this time as a time of reflection to see who or what we are trusting in through this and our prayers we put the glory of God on display we put his holiness on display in our hearts and in our response give us the strength and the wisdom and the will to press through even in difficult times but for our our seniors for all they have meant not just to our student ministry but to our church we ask you bless them you bless them and and and, and help them know your pleasure and our pleasure in what they have accomplished, but also, Father, just guard them because this, this could be, as maybe it was for Moses and others, a time to, to turn inward and to, to, to uh, it's okay to hurt, uh, but to maybe to have some resentment because of what they've missed. Father, we just pray you guard their hearts, but also we're anticipating what you're going to do through them. In a, in a season where we don't know what's next for them for work or for college, what it's going to look like, what it will be, we trust that you do and that you, through their lives and through what they do and through what they say, you're going to lift up your holiness and put your glory on display. So continue to heal them, uh, continue to bless them, uh, encourage them, we pray, for what is ahead. And we praise you and we thank you in the name of Jesus Christ, who is our exodus, our way out. Amen. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit be with us now and always. All of God's people said, amen.